Good morning, folks. How y'all doing today? It is good to see you in the house of the Lord on a beautiful day. I don't know about y'all, but it's been a good morning already for me. I hope it has for you, too. And this morning, I want to ask you again, if you got a copy of God's Word, what a blessing to have a Bible. I'm going to ask you to turn to hold it up with me. And let's all let everybody see it that we believe this is what it says it is. Father, thank you, O oh God, for the Bible. Thank you that I have one in my hand. Thank you that it contains the complete and full word of God. The earth will end and the flesh of mankind will pass away, but the word of God shall never pass away. Help your preacher to preach the word today. Help your church to hear it and understand it today. We promise to obey and keep your word, O God. Sanctify us with thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. Amen. Boy, it's a beautiful sight for a preacher to see that many Bibles held up. Amen. And I hope you will not only hold it up on Sunday, but that you'll get up and pick it up during the week. Because if you'll hold to the Bible, the Bible will hold to you. If you get in the Bible, the Bible will get into you. Everything that God does, he does by faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. You are a product of how much you know and understand this holy book that we call the Bible, God's holy Bible. I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to chapter 21 of the book of Matthew, chapter 21 to the gospel of Matthew, and I want to talk to us this morning about Jesus' rejection of Israel's fruitless religion. You know, when we looked at Jesus' life, Jesus loves everybody. And he was an example of love. And everywhere he went, he healed people. He spoke truth. He ministered to people. He helped people. In this chapter, though, it's the only place where you see Jesus is mad. (laughs) What's he mad at? He's bad at religious people who don't have any clue of who God is and what God wants to do with their life. And if you look right here and you read with me, the main verse that you, you want to look at, and what brought me to this message we're going to look at today was, I read where Jesus cursed the fig tree. How many of you has read that a million times? Why do you think Jesus would curse the fig tree? Do you think he was mad he was having a temper tantrum? You know, he could, have, he, he could have made the fig tree make figs right then. He could have made the tree do whatever he wanted. He didn't curse that tree because he was angry. He cursed that tree because he was trying to show us something. And today I hope that he will help you to see what he was doing when he cursed that fig tree. This is the, the focus verse, the key verse, to my opinion, to the whole chapter. And, and it's in chapter 1, verse 43. He says, therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. And given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. He spoke that to the leaders of the Israeli nation. The people who were in charge of his kingdom. And supposed to be promoting his agenda. And accomplishing his will. And as we look today. We're going to look at. See in this chapter. A breakdown that God's given me. It starts with the coming of the king. Jesus' triumphal entry. What an awesome day. Can you imagine what it would be like if Jesus showed up in Bethany this morning? And God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, their Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the man who had done all these miracles and spoke all these unbelievable truths, entered in for the first time, allowing himself to be recognized as Messiah, Israel's king. And everyone did that. And as you read with me here, he shows up and he tells them to go into the village ahead of you and you'll find a coat with a donkey tied to it. One translation says that donkey had never been ridden. He said, go and tell them that the Lord has use of it, and it'll be as you say. They go and they found that colt with that donkey. And that donkey took with the colt, and they brought it back to him. And they took their clothes, the Bible says in chapter 21, and they put their clothes on it, which was a sign of his being king. And Jesus got on a colt. Any of you ever got on a colt that's never been ridden? And a crowd of people screaming and hollering, waving branches at you? He had to be God. And that colt would have never done what it did, amen? It never bucked. It did what he was created to do. He carried the Lord 
on the day that the Lord said it will be just as you find it. If you pick up with me, it says after this began to happen, if you look back with me in verse 6 of chapter 1, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. You could preach a whole sermon on that. Disciples of Jesus should be doing what Jesus commanded them to do. You know, Jesus told them, go in there and find where to find it. Just go. You'll see it. When you find it, who's it belong to? Don't worry about it. Just tell them the Lord has need of it. And when he gives it to you, bring it back to him. And so Jesus gets on the colt. And look at this. They brought the donkey and they colt, laid their clothes on them and set it on him. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Most people said on the week preceding Passover that there was over a million people. At least, if not two million in Jerusalem. And this crowd of people is saying, Jesus, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the son of David. And so the multitude says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, guys, I want you to think about this. Jesus is being praised. He's being recognized. He told one of them, they said, please quiet them down. Jesus said, if they were to be quiet, the stones would cry out. And he's riding in. And you would expect now this to become a time when Jesus is celebrating in jubilation. But Jesus gets off that little colt, steps into the temple, and he does something. He cleanses the temple. He showed up to church that day. You know what Josephus, a Jewish historian, said about this? And not a biblical account, but a a, a secular historical account. Josephus said that Jesus ran through the temple like a madman. That's in Josephus' historical account. And if you look right here, as you begin to look, you'll see Jesus cleansing the temple. What's he doing? He's correcting them. For not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it says right there. Then Jesus went into the temple of God. He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers. And the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them. It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it in a den of thieves. In John's account. The first time he did this. Was in the beginning of his ministry. It was right after the. First miracle, when he turned the water into wine in Cana, he went into the temple three years ago, and he did the same thing. This time he got a whip and made a whip of cords, and he ran everybody out. This time he told them, no, he didn't call them a den of thieves. He said, you have made my father's house a place of merchandise. Do you know what was happening in that church, in that temple? To go there, they were supposed to be representing God. They were supposed to be doing God's work, carrying on the kingdom agenda. You you went there primarily, there was... Four courts, there was the, the inner court, the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go, where the presence of God and Shekinah glory was at. Then there was the, the, the second court, and that's where the Jewish men were allowed to go and bring their sacrifice and give it. Then there was the women's court, where women could go, Jewish women. Then there was the outer court, where only Gentiles, like me and you, The uncircumcised dogs, the ones that the Jews look down as is spiritually unclean, unfit to come to God. But they was allowed to come into that court, and that's where they would proselyte them, and some would be converted to Judaism. It was there where when you first went into the court, you'd see the business that Jesus was upset about. You see, you had to have an animal to give as a sacrifice And if you traveled like most of those Passover people had done from a long way, you couldn't bring your animal with you. So when they got there, they'd have to buy an animal. But they came up with this system where we won't take any money but Hebrew money. So before you can buy your animal, you have to convert your money to God's money, (laughs) our money. And so they would do it at a not fair deal. And they would take your money and give you the money you would need. And then you would go walk across over here from the money changer to all the animals. And can you imagine how many animals they were selling and the smell and the ruckus? And 
You ever been to the livestock show? Man, I got mine. My, I'm saying this one for this, and I got a, I got a goat over here. He ain't got a blemish on him. And they would buy them at unbelievably outrageous prices. Do you know who was in charge and who ran it? The families of the high priest. Ananias was the one over it. <laughs> and Jesus comes in. And they're supposed to be taking an animal to get rid of their sins and to please God. And they're supposed to be helping people to come to God. But they're causing people to even be able to get to God. And Jesus looks at them and he cleanses that temple. And when you look, the the. the The result of this is in verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, this is the next day. The chief priests and the elders of the people confronted him. And he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And so they're at odds with Jesus. And unbelievably, Jesus is at odds with them. In the Bible, you'll find very few people that Jesus rejected. Diane was talking to me this morning about, I have to teach the girls today about what is hypocrisy. These Jewish leaders were the greatest example, the highest you'll ever see of hypocrisy. They looked down on everybody else, but they looked high upon themselves. They seen everybody else's sins and everybody else's shortcomings, but they never seen anything wrong with themselves. They were self-righteous. They thought they knew everything and they were so right with God. And Jesus comes along and starts calling them whitewashed tombs. That on the outside you look all good and righteous, but on the inside you're all full of sin. And he said, you hypocrites, woe to you. And Jesus rejected them. And that's what the burning, I mean the picture is about when you look and see in between here we're going to go back to how Jesus answered them when they said by whose authority do you do this but the day after he cleansed the temple when they were leaving if you look with me this is what made me start studying this this morning the other day I told Diane I think Tuesday man have you ever thought about the the, the Jesus cursing that tree And I want you to look at this with me. It says, while Jesus was in that temple, the blind and the lame, in verse 14, came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, if we had a blind person here or a lame man here, or if Jesus showed up and touched Brother Garland this morning and healed his heart, I don't think I would get upset because he took away my chance to preach. (laughs) Or he got in got more attention than us. I'll be honest right now, if all of a sudden Brother Garland walked through and said, the Lord showed up and touched me and I'm healed and I'm coming to church, I'd be forgetting what I'm fixing to do. Amen? I'd be talking about what God just done. But not these guys. It says, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And friends, if they can get indignant there, I've seen them get indignant today when Jesus shows up in a church and he begins to take over and he begins to change the agenda and Jesus begins to be the one who's doing what he wants to do instead of what we've always done. And our agenda begins to change. That's what's happening here. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, I have. You never heard out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants You have perfected praise. And then they're complaining because people are praising. They're complaining because people are being healed and lives are being changed. You know, Jesus accused them. He said, he said, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. You stole the house of God from God to do what you want to do. What does God want in his house? What kind of fruit do you think God's looking for in here this morning? Do you think he's looking for people that come every service? That give money? Because they did all that. 
Do you think he's looking at people who go around saying, I'm a Baptist and I believe the Bible? I'm a conservative fundamentalist? Because they were fundamentalists of the highest order. Conservative to the core. They knew the word of God better than anybody else on the planet at that time. Yet they didn't even recognize Jesus, God's son, their Messiah, when he was in their temple doing what God wanted done. You see, this is what I see happen in the temple when Jesus was there. Jesus says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. A true house of God is not a place that just comes and praised the way they prayed in front of everybody else and made long prayers and wore robes and phylacteries and they had their tassels and their hymns where everybody looked at them and said, what religious, righteous people? True prayer is the kind of prayer that gets the ear of God. It's the kind of prayer that starts with brokenness and mercy and in need of help that only God can give. You see, God wants prayer among his people, folks. Real prayer. True prayer is an evidence of our dependence upon God and our faith in his word. I'm not here to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you haven't prayed at all all week and you come here today and you act like you're just prayer warrior and I pray, God snails hypocrisy before we can ever see it. And he called them hypocrites. Diane said, what should I tell them kids? You tell them that there's nothing worse than a hypocrite. A hypocrite thinks, I'm better than everybody else. A hypocrite sees what's wrong with everybody else, but never sees what's wrong with them. A hypocrite can't remember the last time he realized he was a sinner. And he fell down on his knees and said, Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to overcome this. A hypocrite is someone who hasn't talked to God all week, but comes here today and acts like him and God is all so important to him. And friends, if it could happen to them... Do you think it could happen to churches in America today? You see, America is very religious. America's still got churches everywhere. Compared to all the other countries, we got more access to the gospel, more churches standing this morning with preachers preaching the word of God than any other country still on the planet of the earth. But where is God's blessings on America today? Where is God's blessings on our churches today? You see... God wants things to happen in his church. You know what God wants to happen in his church, the kind of fruit? God wants people being helped. Jesus showed up. He's helping somebody, lame people. He's helping the blind to see. And these religious people are upset because it's interfering with business as usual. And Jesus turns over the tables and all these people come to him. Then he's healing them. He's he's doing miraculous things. You see, the needy and the broken should be welcomed and should be able to find help in God's house when they show up. We should be more concerned about those without than us. We should be more concerned this morning about the needs of others than ourselves. We should be looking and burdened at the brokenness of our communities and the emptiness of the souls of our neighbors who are trying to find meaning and purpose in everything this world has to offer, but they don't have Jesus. That's what happens when a country with all the material wealth of the world has no Jesus. Look what's happening to us. And it should break our hearts. It should, we should be more, more than anything We should be thinking, how can we get them here? How can we reach people? How can we get the broken and the needy and the ones who are without God to God? People were in the temple. Guess what? These people weren't coming in that temple when Jesus wasn't in that temple. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Jesus was recognized as Messiah. Jesus was the, the, the prophet of Nazareth who does mighty wonders and works in the name of God. Jesus is in the temple. They show up. Jesus heals. Jesus does miracles. Jesus saves lives. And now they're not happy. So what did Jesus do? Well, he cleanses the temple. He walks out. And he comes up on the fig tree. And this is what I want to primarily look at for a minute. In verse 17, and Jesus left and he went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Verse 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry. 
And seeing a fig tree by the road, Jesus came to it and he found nothing on it but leaves. And he found and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled. It was a bad day to be a fig tree with no fruit. Amen. How did the fig tree wither away so soon? And Jesus answers and says to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. You see, God doesn't only want people coming into his church, into his temple, into the people who represent him who are in need. God wants his life-changing power to be available, to be present, to be amongst us. Why? Because the power of God working to change people is the only thing that saves them, can change them. There was no power of God in that temple till Jesus showed up. And then when Jesus showed up and his power began to be manifested and Lives were being saved and people's families were being changed and people were being brought into right relationship and restored and reconciled with God. And they began to praise God. You know what happens to religious people who aren't right with God? Man, they're getting excited. They're raising their hands. They're shouting. They're all getting carried away with this Jesus. We just like to come and sit. And here, preacher, don't get too excited about this miracle. You see, what he's saying right there in that verse is, yeah, we can move mountains. See, God didn't call us to climb mountains. God called us to have faith to move mountains. He didn't call you to do it. He called you to believe in him that he can move it. What mountain is in your life this morning that you can't get through or over? What Is it that right now has got you from God? Friends, that's a mountain that needs to be removed. And you got to have faith to believe. And that's what he's talking about, true faith. So we do know he's talking about being able to have the power. Praise God. The praise of God should abound in his house, in his temple. God loves the praise of his children. That's some fruit that should be in every one of our lives on a regular basis. But you still got to see, like, why did he curse The fig tree. Do you think Jesus had a temper tantrum? Now, obviously, Jesus is mad. You might as well accept it. He got mad. He showed up at church. He formed a whip. He whooped people. He ran them off. He turned money tables over. He took all the money and shook it everywhere. Then he went and he turned all the animals loose and he ran them loose. Can you imagine the ruckus that day? If somebody showed up doing this, Bart and has got guns to shoot somebody that comes in here tearing up this service. We have security. Jesus shows up, and now he leaves. He walks up to a fig tree, an innocent fig tree, a fig tree that's just sitting there being a fig tree. If you go read in Mark's account, Mark said it wasn't even the time of the year for figs to be on the tree. And Jesus is hungry. Do you believe Jesus is hungry for fruit among us today? Do you think God wants fruit in his people? And so Jesus curses the fig tree. Now, guys, why would Jesus curse a fig tree? Well, when we consider the time and the place of this event, it helps you to better understand it. You see, Jesus was near Jerusalem in the last week, the capital city where all the head leaders, the leaders of God's people, where Israel, God's people were all gathered for the highest holiday of the year, Passover, to celebrate their deliverance from Egypt and they're being saved by their God and becoming his, their, his chosen people. It was his last week of public ministry to Israel, his people. The fig tree, if you don't realize this yet, is symbolized throughout the scriptures over and over as the nation of Israel. Israel is the fig tree. Jeremiah 8.13 says, I will surely consume them, say us the Lord. No grapes shall be on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree, and the leaf shall fade, and the things I have given to them shall pass away from them. That was 
a prophetic word from Jeremiah directly to Israel. Hosea 9.10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal PR and separated themselves to that shame. And they came and became an abomination like the thing they loved. He's talking about they turned from him. They became fruitless. Jesus, when he was here in Luke, spoke a parable and he said, a certain man had a fig tree. He planted it in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. If you was to turn there, it's in Luke chapter 13. Listen what he says. A certain man had a fig tree. He planted it in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree. And I find none. How many years did Jesus publicly minister to Israel? Three years. Do you think that's an accident? For three years, Jesus has been there. He started. He did his first miracle in Cana. He left that miracle. He went to the temple. He formed a whip. And he cleansed the temple. And you know what they told him that time? They said, what are you doing? And he says, I will tear this temple down. And in three days, I'll rebuild it. That's what he said in the beginning of his ministry. And they looked at him. Are you crazy? It took years and years and decades to build this temple. And are you saying you can tear it down in three days, build it up? But he wasn't speaking about the temple. He was speaking about this temple. You will destroy it. And in three days, I will raise it in the power of the resurrection. Now he's doing it. And they're saying, by what authority are you doing this? And Jesus goes back and tells them. He says, I tell you what, I'll ask you a question, and if you answer me, I'll tell you. And so when you go back, Jesus does what he says. And he says right there, if you look with me. He says in verse 24, Jesus said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, likewise, I will tell you about what authority I do these things. He says, the baptism of John the Baptist. Where was it from? From heaven or from earth? <laughs> and they reason among themselves saying, if we say it's from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and they said, we do not know. You see, Jesus knew they would never be able to answer. They said, if, if, they, if they would have said, yes, it was from heaven, why didn't you believe? All the harlots and the tax collectors, all the sinners believed and repented. You didn't. Once you seen what John was doing and how God was blessing it, why didn't you relent? But no, you rejected it. And if they said, oh, it was for men, he knew that everyone would have said John is a mighty prophet of God. So they're in trouble. So then Jesus does answer, but he answers the way Jesus loved to answer. He answered in a way that the only people that will ever understand the answer is the people who really, really want to know the truth. They didn't care about the truth, but listen what he tells them. He says, right here, he says, I will tell you a parable. But what do you think? Verse 28. Neither will I tell you, but what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first, and he said to the son, Go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he regretted and went. That was Israel. I mean, that was the harlots, the, the tax collectors. At first, they didn't follow God. And then it says in verse 30, then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. I'll go do what you want me to do. But he did not go. And he says, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus answered and said, surely I say to you, the tax collectors and the harlots who didn't even look for God, didn't even want to do what God was saying. But once John the Baptist showed up and preached the word and showed them the truth, they relented, they repented, and they began to come into the kingdom. He says, tax collectors and harlots entered the kingdom of God before you. But for John came to you in the way of righteousness. You religious people, you leaders, you, you rulers of the church. And you, you are the ones over the whole people of God. And he says, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent in believing. And now, guys, listen here. This is so important. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard. Who do you think that is? God. What was the vineyard? We're part of it. He still got his vineyard going. 
Israel was the vineyard. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and he leased it to the vine dressers, and he went into a far country. Now, when vintage time came, that's fruitful. He drew near. He sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned the other. That's the prophets in the Old Testament. God kept sending them to them. They kept killing them. He kept going to them, trying to get their attention. Jeremiah was one. Hosea was one. Isaiah was one. But they wouldn't listen. So he goes on and he says, and the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, stoned her. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first. And they did likewise to him. Then last of all, he sent his son. That's Jesus. Saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers, that's those religious leaders, saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. Jesus is days from the cross. Looking at the people who are fixing to put him there. And he's speaking this parable. And they got it. So they took him and they cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? Friends, Jesus gave them every opportunity to repent. He was telling them, I'm the son. My father's the vine dresser. This is not your temple. This is not our church. This is not ours. It's his. It belongs to God. We just get to serve. We just get to be a part of what he's doing. And friends, listen what he says. And they said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render him the fruits of their seasons. And Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures? Here we are, what we looked at last week. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's Jesus. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. And Jesus looked right at him. He said, I am the cornerstone. I am the foundation. I am the true one that God has sent. And then Jesus looks at him. He says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. Jesus said that Israel's no longer going to be the representation of my kingdom on earth. I'm fixing to do a new thing. I'm fixing to do something that it's going to be unbelievable, and it still is to me today when we look at it. But then he says to him, and whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. You see, rejection to Jesus cost them. He rejected them. Now, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they repented when they realized he was speaking to them and they got right with Jesus. Is that what it says? I wish that's what it says. It says, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. They wanted to kill Jesus Why did Jesus do that? Because they were all going to church. They were all going through the motions, but they wasn't bearing any fruit. Their lives were not usable for God. And worse than that, they thought they were. Friends, if it could happen to them, could it happen to us? Could the church in America today be so centered on itself and on what they want to do and what they've always done that we've missed what God wants to do. It's not about numbers. It's not about what we build. It's about him. And friends, think about this. Jesus took the kingdom from Israel and gave it to his church. (laughs) And today the church is the primary representation of God's kingdom on earth, doing the work of the king, promoting the agenda of the kingdom. And what is the agenda of the kingdom? To reach lost people, to help needy people, to exhibit and manifest the presence of God through our life and relationship with God and as we're right with God and we walk with God and we know him and we have a relationship the church is a living unbelievable powerful entity upon the earth 
and his presence. When the presence of God is not in your life and you're a Christian, the problem is not God. The problem is something with us. Because he wants to manifest his presence in our lives. He wants to use us to help others. He wants us to be his witness. He wants to exhibit the power of God in and through the church. He wants us out there in the highways and the byways. Finding those who are without. Those who are dead in sin. Those whose lives are just totally destroyed. And telling them about the one who changed us. And bringing them to church where there's praise and there's excitement because God is at work. The conclusion is that Jesus rejected them and he gave the church the kingdom. You know what's the amazing thing? Do you know what those religious, self-righteous, judgmental, condemning Jews hate it more than anything else? People like me and you. Is anybody in here Jewish? How many of us are Gentiles? How many of you personally know Jewish people? Saved or lost? Thank God. God does save some Jewish people. But as a whole, the nation of Israel is lost. And they lost all of their privileges. All of their favor and blessings. The temple's gone. They don't even have Jerusalem until 1940. Well, they didn't even have the land until 48. It took them to 65 to get the temple back, and they still just partially. You ought to go to Israel. It's so sad that those lost Jews who reject Jesus stand at a wall called the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, because that's as close as they can get now to where a temple used to be, the one that got destroyed that Jesus said he would turn to powder And they put their heads against the wall and they stick notes in the cracks and they pray. And you can go watch them. We've seen it. And that's how they worship God. Praying that their Messiah comes. Friends, he's already came. (laughs) And he's coming back. And the unbelievable thing is he ain't gave up on them completely. He's coming back to get a church that's fruitful, that's bearing fruit, that's accomplishing his objective, that people's lives who are living for him who are making a difference for him and friends when he comes back and he raptures us out he's going to cause something called the tribulation and during that tribulation he's so intent on accomplishing his will that he's going to use that to break to humble the jewish nation to where they will accept him and believe he is a messiah when he comes back friends i don't know about y'all but god is not a god to go against (laughs) And friends, as you look at this and you begin to think, well, how do we bear fruit? What do we have to do? Do we have to go to more Bible studies? Do we have to pray more? Do we have to um, go to church more? Do we have to give more money? There's nothing you can do to bear fruit of yourself. Do you know how you bear fruit now? You bear fruit by being rightly connected to Jesus. If you're not bearing fruit, you ain't connected to the vine. You're a branch who has been severed or something is not right in your relationship. Because when you're right with Jesus, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And friends, we can't do a car show and represent Jesus if we get 150 of the best cars in this Caddo power, if we had the best food ever served, if we had the greatest rep, if we don't have him, it's all a bunch of garbage. It's worthless. It's Jesus that makes miracles happen. He saves people. He draws people. He is the one that we represent. Jesus' words on the last night when he gathered, the last night right before he went to the cross, Right after they left the upper room, right after they had the Lord's Supper and the communion, and he told them, this is my blood, drink this in remembrance of me. This is my body, eat this in remembrance of me. I'm going to the cross. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. And every branch that bears fruit, he proves that it may bear more fruit. You see, God is really excited about fruit coming out of our life. Things that he's doing that he made happen. 
You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. I don't know if you figured this out yet. If you're trying to make fruit, you ain't making none. (laughs) If you're focused on fruitfulness, you ain't going to be fruitful. You know what you focus on? Jesus, I want to be with you. Lord, I want to be, I want to be connected. I want to be, I don't know, really know what it means to abide. I, I, I've been going to church so long and I've tried everything. I can't quit my sinning. I got things in my life. I got mountains. I can't move. Lord, I've been trying to climb them and I'm tired. Lord, I've been trying to get this stuff fixed and I've been trying to make this stuff right. Lord, I've been trying to be a good church member and Lord, I'm not doing it. Lord, I give up on me. I give up on Baptist religion. And Lord, I come to lay at your feet of mercy. I come to abide with you. Lord, connect me. Lord, prune me. Lord, make me fruitful. Lord, Father God, whatever you need to do, rightly connect me to your son. Lord Jesus, you are the vine. I believe all spiritual power, all spiritual goodness comes from you. If we are to bear the fruits of repentance, it'll start with Jesus. If we're going to bear the fruits of righteousness, it'll come from Jesus. If we're going to see fruits of salvation, it's going to come because you got right with Jesus. And Jesus is able to do above and abundantly what he said he can do. Have you ever got around a person who got right with Jesus? He's He's different than the majority of everybody else. Because, friends, listen, when we are rightly connected to him, he didn't say, you might bear fruit. He didn't say, you'll bear some fruit. He says, you'll bear much fruit when you abide in me. Now, this is the deal with me. How many of y'all's life is busy and hectic and disrupted? How many of you can truly say, me and Jesus have quality abiding time? Now, how many of you in here is married? Now, if you're married, do you have to have time with your wife to have a healthy marriage? Do you have to abide? Do you have to sometimes do what she wants instead of what you want, men? Do you have to think about her needs and what she wants? And you know what? Good husbands and good wives... Ain't perfect wives and perfect husbands, but they know how to have a real relationship. They know how to say, I love you. They know how to say, I'm sorry. (laughs) Please forgive me. They know how to repent. They know how to quit doing what they did that got them in trouble in the first place and start doing what they should have been doing in the first place and be a good husband. Healthy marriages Don't result because you've been to marriage counseling and you go to all the marriage training courses and you read all the good marriage help books. Good marriages come because you love your spouse. Enough to where I want to be with her more than anything else. That's the same thing happens with Jesus. Jesus, I love you more than that famous Favorite TV show. Jesus, I love you more than my hobby. Jesus, I love you more than catching white perch. He knows. Jesus, I'd really like to go hunting this week, but it's a car show. Someone told me, did you not know that the car show is the opening day of muzzleloader season? I didn't know, but God knew. (laughs) That might... Say, he's getting personal now. But you know what? In reality, if you're going to abide, you're going to make it a... You're going to be purposeful, intentional. You're going to make it happen. And so today, God's been showing me this. Believe me, I'm having to do a lot of soul searching, a lot of things. But you know what I find? 
When I'm rightly abiding with Jesus, all the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. I don't even realize it's happening. People's lives are being affected that I didn't even know. And things are happening. Me and Jonathan a while back found out we wasn't abiding, were we? I got that book and I'm going to offer it to you again. Um, Point Man, we've been having a study. Um, it's only the third weekend, third chapter. Man, I know we're busy on Tuesday night. There's eight men that's made it a, a decision that I'm going to do that. I believe they're going to be better leaders for their family because of it. Friends, listen, you can't just show up on church on Sunday and do anything else and everything else and have what God wants to do. If we're going to bear fruit, fruit that honors him, fruit that makes a difference. See, this is the thing. Fruit is not for us. The fruit wasn't for that tree. The fruit is for the person who's hungry. And God is hungry. He wants fruit. But he needs fruit to feed others. You see, the things that God does in our life is not for our own pleasure, for our own gratification. The greatest thing God does in our life is when he gets us to a place where what's coming from us because of him being in us is not blessing us. It's blessing him and her and them more than us. See, fruit is not for the tree. Fruit is for the one who is hungry and in need of nourishment and sustenance. Do you see them out there? Are they not hungry? Are they not starving? Do they not need a big bite of spiritual fruitfulness from the body of Christ? Yes, they do. And guys, listen, we're going to have a car show. That's an awesome thing. It's going to be fun. But God didn't give us the opportunity to have a car show just to come play. He gave us this kids church back here and he's blessed us with all kinds of things and chairs and a nice thing but he didn't give us that to make the children's playhouse he gave it to make the children's church house not to go and have fun and play and have games and all that kind of stuff he did it so they have an encounter with Jesus Christ on their level that we speak truth into them and we work into them. That out there is a privilege, but it's also a burden. We need more people than just Jessica and Miss Carrie. And we need, thank God for all our teachers on Wednesday night. But I'm here to tell you right now that those kids need more than just Miss Jessica and Dylan in there every Sunday. They need people who love Jesus enough to love them enough to say, Lord, use me in that capacity lord use me in this capacity if we have a car show we may have a good car show and everyone may brag on bethany but if we have a car show and people get saved and people that are unchurched to get connected with and come and become part of this church it won't be because of what we done it'll only be because of what he did through us i can't make a man come to church i go talk to him all the time if half of them came that told me they'd come Y'all might not have your seat this morning. But you know what? You keep telling. You keep going. God is at work. How many of you want God to use you? So I'm just going to make it simple. Say, Lord, I want to abide with you. I want to be connected with you. I want to be a branch that is writ the vine. Did you spend time with Jesus this week? Have you been in the Word this week? Have you had real prayer this week? Have you made a special time where you are with God because if you get with God, God's going to get with you. And I this morning want to first share that the first thing it takes is to be truly saved. Jesus said that if you are born again, he said, you, he said, you cannot enter my kingdom unless you be born again. The kingdom, not the church. We got too many people in the church but not in the kingdom. Would you agree? You can be in the church your whole life and not be in the kingdom. Nicodemus was one of these religious men. And by the grace of God, Nicodemus recognized who Jesus was. He tried to take up for Jesus. And in the end, he believed in Jesus and trusted Jesus. So even out of those wicked leaders, the Pharisees, he saved Nicodemus. And friends, he saves people every day who trust him. Today, 
to get saved. It's not going to church. It's not being religious. It's not doing things that you think are good. They are. Bible study, it's trust in Jesus. Today, you have to get to a place where you give up and totally put your hope and trust in Christ. This morning, you just say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I believe you died. I believe you're the Savior. I believe you rose again, and I believe you live. Today, I come to help you and ask you to save me and ask him to save you. And if he saves you, he's going to go to work in you to make fruit. Amen. This morning, where are you at? Are you bearing fruit? Only you and Jesus know. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I pray. And what are we going to sing, Brother Jonathan? I surrender all. all. That's a good one. Father in heaven, we do come to surrender all to you today. Thank you that you gave all for us. And Lord, this is a difficult message. But Lord, it was difficult for Israel. It still is. Lord, I pray for peace in Jerusalem all the time. But there ain't been peace in a long, long time. And there won't be ever peace again until you come back. And, Lord, I do pray for Israel right now. They're in war. But I pray for America. I pray for America to come to her senses and repent and turn back to the God who found her and gave her the freedoms that we had where we could worship you in truth and spirit and where we could, Lord, have church the way it was supposed to be according to your word. And, Lord, I pray that America, Lord, would experience a spiritual awakening and revival would start through the church. But, Lord, more than anything today, I pray for your believers. I pray for those who are saved by your grace, who have ability to bear fruit, that we would abide. We would have fall in love with you. We would want to spend time with you and be like you. We would want to please you, Jesus. Help us to be like that today. Help us to be the church that doesn't forget its first love, that isn't lukewarm, but is hot for Christ in these cold days in which we live. And Lord, I pray for the lost person this morning. There's someone right now who's not saved who will go to hell if they die. And I pray this morning that you give them grace to trust in the cross, to walk an aisle, to come and say, I need Jesus. I'm coming to ask him to forgive me and save me. And, Lord, I'm just believing that, just like me, I had to pray after hearing this and looking at you, that there'll be people come to the altar today, Lord, to draw close to you and abide with you so that you can abide with them so that we may bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.